Our scripture for today is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13, not 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 13. So it's printed wrong in your bulletin. All of this traces right back to me. Printed wrong in your bulletin. Uh, but this is what I discovered in the early. So I'm glad uh, that we get this scripture. Verse 13 of 2 Timothy 1 says this. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So this is Paul writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, this is what I've said and done. Follow what I've said and done. And this morning's sermon is, who's your one? Who is it that you are investing in, pouring into? And then in 2 Timothy 2, uh, Paul just drills down on verse 13 of 1. And so honestly, until this happened in both services now, I have not seen the connection between the first part of 1 and the first part of 2. I shared last week that a few weeks ago we met as staff and elders and we talked about our statements, uh, what is it that we are about, and we discovered a glaring, uh, glaring, uh, um, uh, I guess, omission in our mission statement. And the glaring omission in our mission statement was that the word disciple wasn't there. And we have been about that, but when you write something down, you're more likely to do it. And so we just went and tweaked. It's all we did and said, our mission is to be a church who makes disciples, who exalt Christ, live transformed lives, and embrace their communities. We also went through a values clarification exercise. In 2004, we did this, and we looked at, or 2007, and we looked, uh, just set those aside and just asked some questions. And I said last week, eight of those 10 values in 2007 uh, emerged uh, just last fall, and that was very affirming. But we discovered it's hard to remember 10, and that they would fit in three categories. And these three categories are this, Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. Category number two, heart change that leads to life change. And then number three, others before ourselves. Those are our marching orders as a church. Jesus over everything. Heart change that leads to life change. And others before ourselves. When we get to today, we uh, are going to look at something that has been at the core of who we are. It's at the core of who I am as a person, and that is the reality of one-on-one or one-to-small, so one-to-one or one-to-small discipleship. So you disciple in, we'll say three ways, one-to-one, one-to-small, or one-to-all. And for me, as a preacher on Sundays, it's one to all. I preach and people listen and hear. And so there are however many people are here that day or hear it online or hear it on a podcast, that's one to all. One to small is uh, all of our life group leaders or ministry directors, those folks who are pouring into a group of people. And one-to-one is that one-to-one relationship that here at Grace almost always exists between someone and a new believer, one-to-one. 
Today we're talking about what could be classified as one-to-one or one-to-small. And in that, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he gives him three statements. And I would say to you, uh, these are three statements. If you're going to grow, you've got to be willing to hear from someone. And then if you're going to help someone else to grow, you've got to be willing to say to them. So you've got to be willing to hear them and willing to say them. Let me also say this, turned 50 uh, this past year. You have to be willing to continually hear these things. Please hear me. All of you who are younger than I am, you never arrive, you never figure it all out, you never are not in need of growth and discipleship and, and, and the wisdom that comes from others. So what are these three statements? Number one, be strengthened by Christ. Paul says, you then. Uh, who, why does he say that? Because that really uh, hones in on Timothy. Uh, verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Paul is saying to Timothy, unlike those who walked out, turned away from me, you, Timothy, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Some will walk away. You have not. Since you have not, be strengthened by the grace. You then be strengthened in the passive and the present tense. All right, so it's passive and present. What does that mean? Keep on being strengthened. Keep on being strengthened. We'll look at how that works in a moment. By the grace, God's gracious, enabling power. All right, so Paul says to Timothy, keep on being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, have you ever seen those uh, Russian nesting dolls? Like you've got one on the outside and you think that's all you have until you open it, and then there's another and another and another, however many may rest or nest in that one doll, right? This is, and I don't mean to diminish the indwelling power of God in any way, but just to maybe put it in some kind of object way for us to get, this is how I picture Christ in us, is that here you see me, but if you were to be able to crack open my heart, there he is. And because there he is, there's the Spirit. And because there's the Spirit, there's the Father. And so all nested in me as a follower of Jesus is all things that, 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 that God wants me to have of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you look through 2 Timothy, you will see several things that are in Christ. What are they? Life in chapter 1, verse 1, life is in Christ. In chapter 9 and verse 1, purpose and grace are in Christ. In uh, 13, faith and love are in Christ. And in 2.10, salvation is in Christ. Meaning what? Everything you've ever needed is in Christ. Amen? Everything. Everything. I don't say that tritely. I'm just saying that he is enough, that he is everything you've ever needed. Everything is in him. Life is in him. Salvation is in him. Uh, faith, love, purpose, grace is in him. Do you know what this means? 
that if all of that is found in him, it isn't found in anything else. It isn't found in anything else. Your wife will not satisfy you like Christ can. Your husband will not satisfy you like Christ can. You will not find life in your children. You will, find, you will not find hope and peace in your relationships. You won't. As good as your dad or mom may be, they'll blow it. As good as your husband or wife may be, they'll disappoint. As good as your children may be, they'll go off course at some point. They'll disappoint you. The only one who will never fail you, never disappoint you, never let you down, never ever let you go is Jesus Christ. He indeed is enough. He indeed is the one who can supply all your needs. So what does this require? Both an attitude and an action. What is the attitude? Loving, regular dependence. That's the attitude. It's an everyday, Lord, I need you. Nothing, nothing just like crazy, just every day, Lord, here I am, and I need you to do what it is. So, so, so say, how does that work out? Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that those who hunger and thirst are the ones who will be satisfied, right? you got to have a hunger and a thirst in order for that hunger or thirst to be satisfied. Paul's echoed the same sentiment, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, God speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my successes. Is that it? Nope. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my victories. Is that it? No. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. This is so counterintuitive, isn't it? That we would boast, that we would brag, that in our weakness God's strength is made perfect. Brennan Manning, in his work, Ragamuffin Gospel, says this, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story. He calls it the light side in the dark. All right, we like for our light side to be seen, don't we? Ah, but not too many people we want to see our dark. But he says the light side in the dark. And admitting my shadow side, my dark side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. That, my friends, is a saint. Not someone who is good. If you're coming to grace to look for a bunch of perfect people, we'll just go down the road, right? I mean, they'll disappoint you too. I'm just saying it's not here. That does not exist. A saint is someone who is not good, but who experiences the goodness of God. So your attitude must be one that says, Oh, Lord, it's a new day, and, and I'm a new person in need of you. It's a new day, and here I am, and, 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 and I, I desperately need you. That's the attitude. What is the action? It just must happen daily. When Israel's wandering in the wilderness and they need food to eat, how often did God send them manna? Daily. Yeah, he sent them manna daily. Could he have given them manna for more than one day at a time? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he did uh, on the day prior to the Sabbath so that they would not have to work on the Sabbath. They received food for both days, didn't they? But he gave them food for one day at a time. Why? Well, they'd wake up the next morning dependent. They would. 
is this pattern all throughout Scripture. Look at Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every what, class? Morning. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him every morning. Do you know how I view that? That every morning when you wake up, I know I've shared this before, but every morning when you wake up, I believe already deposited into the bank account of your life are all the mercies you need for that day. All of them. Do you know what God wants you to do? By the time you lay your head down at night, drain it dry. Use every one. Why? Because that mercy for that day is not good for the next day. And the next morning, just like the manna, and the next morning when you wake up, guess what's going to be deposited into the bank account of your life? Enough mercy for that day. And, and by the time you lay your head on your pillow at night, just drain it dry. Use the bank account up because you can't save mercies for a new day. No, he gives you all you need for that day. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this what? Day. Our daily bread. Not this week, our weekly bread. You see this woven throughout. God created in Genesis in days, and he has designed us to lean in on him one day at a time. Every single day. So every day you need an attitude check. Are you humbly dependent? And every day you need an action check. Are you going to God as you should? Saturdays are house cleaning days at my house. That's just what we do. We clean the house on Saturdays. And so uh, Wendy and I just kind of hang out for a little. Then it's time to tackle the house, right? And so we decide, we divide and conquer who's going to do what. And so we divided and conquered yesterday, and I got the kitchen. So the kitchen is my favorite room to clean for whatever reason. Uh, so I get the kitchen, and that's my job. And so Gogo, who's sitting here, lives with us, and Gogo's 87, and uh, this is Gogo's domain, right? She's done kitchen all her life. And so she wheels in there and says, what can I do to help? I said, well, Gogo, the dishwasher needs emptying, and this time it didn't dry them, so uh, just dry the dishes in the dishwasher. And so Gogo's drying dishes in the dishwasher. I get the speaker, and I put on some good old Bill Gaither gospel music, right? So we crank it up super loud. It's so loud you can't hear yourself thinking there. So Gaither's blaring. Gogo is drying dishes, and I'm cleaning. And I look over at her, and I think, how many years she has lived out this, this, this song that came on. What was the song? Well, I grew up listening to all this stuff and uh, know the words to every single song. You know, when they come on, they're odd, every word, every single one. And this song came on, and some of you may know the words to it. And it's, what a fellowship, what a joy is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I look over at Gogo and I think, 87 years. She's lived this. She has lived this for 87 years. And in my mind, I shot back to Sunday night, go over to the hospital. Jennifer Kinniger's with her grandmother, who, when Jennifer's mom died, became her mom. And she's so near death. At times she would just moan and say something. And I looked at Jennifer and I said, 
is it all right if I just sing a song? She said, yeah. I leaned down over Hilda's bed and I said, oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning on the everlasting arms, oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Then I thought especially of Hilda. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. The guy who wrote that hymn taught music and had students in one week. Two of his students unexpectedly lost their spouses. And he sat down and thought, they have to learn to do this and went back and taught them that song. That's what Paul says to Timothy and that's what I say to you. If you are going to live the Christian life, you'll do a lot of leaning on Christ. And if you don't, you'll do a lot of falling on your face. It's not really profound, is it? It's waking up every day leaning. It's walking through the day leaning. It's going to bed at night leaning. And it's doing it again the next day. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Then he says, secondly, listen to me. Now, I've had people say that to me before in ways that I needed to hear it. And if you're going to disciple anyone at some point, you'll have to say, look me in the eye and listen to what I'm saying. And they may not like you then, but they'll appreciate you later. Listen to me, he says. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I ask you again, who's your one? Who's the one that you are pouring into? And I would just say, if you're a mom or a dad, it just goes without saying it's your kids. Just goes without saying it's your son, your daughter, it's your kids. They're your one. They're your one biologically or by adoption, whatever it may be. But when they became yours, you have a long-term eternal vision for them, do you not? You don't simply see them on this earth. You see them past this earth. So who's your one? Paul traveled on three missionary journeys, remarkable trips. There's no way in all those places that he he could disciple everybody. And so Timothy, he left at Ephesus, right? Uh, You've got Lydia and Philippi. You've got all of these people scattered different places. So who's your one? Who are you pouring into? Who are you investing in? It occurred to me a couple months ago that my kids should know God better than I do. 
My kids should know God better than I do. Both are sitting in this room right now. Why? Because I know God in a way that I didn't know God when I was their age. And I am able to give that to them. I walk with God differently than I did when I was their age. And I'm able to share with them and to hopefully parent and teach them alongside Wendy in such a way that they get what I didn't have when I was their age. They have access to stuff I didn't have access to. As a matter of fact, the word entrust means to give away. To who? To faithful men. Reliable. That means they'll receive and practice whatever it is you give. So what does this look like? If you disciple long enough, and I've discipled someone for every, all my ministry, I have had both the one to, one to small and one to all and one to one. Never can I recall a time when there's n- that I've not been discipling a one to one. And so a one to one, a one to small, one to all has been through all of my ministry. My one to one is sitting in this room right now. All right, so, so I've done that all of my ministry. And then I've had on oh, more than one occasion somebody who said they were interested and then they weren't. As a matter of fact, last semester this kid came back and came and found me. And, and so I, I said, he said, I, I want to meet. Okay, and he just kind of poured his heart out to me, and he flunked my class. He barely made it in class, and and he flunked my class the semester before, and he said, God did this work in me, and I just want to meet, and I just took him at his word, began to do it. Then it became quite clear that it wasn't true. He wasn't serious. He didn't want it. it. It's fruitless at that point for me to press in. I have to just call him out lovingly and say, you in or you out? His response was, I'm out. That, that's always disappointing. I would just say to you that you'll invest, if you, if you invest in people like Paul does Timothy, there will be those. Didn't he say, everybody in Asia turned away from me? There will be those. That's no reason not to. It's just God, send me the one who's, who's open and willing and wanting, and, and I'll, just, I'll just pour out to that person, right? I'll just pour out and pour into. And so it is the hungry who will be fed, the thirsty who will be given drink. And then Paul says, thirdly, suffer with me. It's the only time that word shows up in Scripture. Suffer with me. Uh, he, he gives three examples of it, or three metaphors. And so let's look at them quickly. Um, Share in suffering as a single-minded soldier. Uh, look at this. He, he says, uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim, verse 4, is to please the one who enlisted him. So what does that mean? Don't get distracted by everything around you. In other words, suffer as a disciplined thinker. It isn't easy to live undistracted, especially with all of our technology and all the things today that can cloud your mind. And everybody's got a website now touting whatever it is they believe. And so you must suffer as a disciplined thinker. Thinking in a disciplined way is not natural. That's my point. 
And so for a soldier, I've never served, but several of you have. And when you enlisted, all of a sudden, you lost the right to think for yourself for a little while. While they determined how and when you would think and where you would go and what you would do until you were in that system. And that's what Paul is saying here. Secondly, he says, suffer as a rule-abiding athlete. Now, in Paul's day, think Olympics, they had to train for 10 months and then go swear in a public ceremony to Zeus that they had done so. Then they competed in the games. So for you, when you suffer as an athlete, you suffer as a disciplined trainer. You are going to go through the hard physical work of training in order to be able to play your sport. Think Olympics now. Four years that many of those athletes train for what? 50 seconds of, of, of displaying it out. Suffer as a disciplined trainer. Years ago, we were in Honduras and, and on a mission trip, and I would get up early in the morning to be in the Word and pray. And every morning when I was, there's this college student. She, I didn't know her, but she's up, and we're at this camp, and she's working out. She worked out every single morning for an hour solid, and it was serious, a serious workout. I was so impressed. No one's with her. No one's making her do this. She is disciplined. So when I finally asked around to figure out who she was, she played Division I soccer at the University of Kentucky. She has to do that. Otherwise, it's going to be awful when she shows up to, uh, to uh, training, isn't it? She suffered as a disciplined trainer. And then finally, there's the farmer. Suffer as a disciplined worker. I grew up farming. You don't have a choice to when you plant. You plant when the, when the weather's right. You don't have a choice as to when you harvest. You harvest when the crop comes in. I remember one time that five bushels of green beans we picked in a single day. Mom, dad, the kids. I'm in elementary school picking five bushels of green beans. Then we canned every single one of them. So we started stringing and breaking until they were done and in the cans. And mom canned them, every single one. Why? Because that's when they all came in. That's what farmers do, isn't it? They work when you have to work. My grandpa grew up as a construction worker and a tobacco farmer. He would come in from his construction job, say to my grandmother who had dinner prepared, I can eat when it's dark. Work in the fields until dark, and then he would eat. That's what farmers do. So Paul is saying with me, hey, there's going to be some discipline. Following Jesus isn't easy. Following Jesus is not going to be a pie job. There's going to be some discipline required. Think athlete, think soldier, think farmer. These things are how we are to think about the Christian life. Are there rewards? Look at verse 10, 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those who would come to faith in Christ, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Listen to me, mom and dad. You will suffer so that your kids come to faith in Christ. You'll suffer in prayer. You'll suffer in counsel. You'll suffer, will you not, in not being popular some days? You won't be their best friend some days. Some days they won't like you. Some days they'll wish they had other parents. 
right? They'll just think, well, their parents let them do whatever, and, and my mom and dad, they just, you know, that, that's just normal, right? It's just the suffering that you will endure. Let me say to you as parents, just keep suffering, right? Because when your son or daughter comes to faith in Christ and grows up and goes through the twists and turns of life and, and follows him, isn't that joyful? Isn't there a joy in that? You look at it as a mom or dad and go, yes, yes. I would say to you in my discipling of people now for, for 25 years, oh gosh, I've seen the people I've been pouring into do the dumbest things, make the most awful decisions. I've wept with them and I've just gotten up in their face. But there is such joy. As a matter of fact, after the early service, two, two, two men walked up to me. One is near 30. The other is in mid-20s. And they said, the whole time you were preaching, I thought, where would I be if that man had not been in my face on more than one occasion? Where would I be if he did not invest in me? Where would I be? And they just said to me, thank you for being my dad in the faith. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Your one will follow Christ. Number two, Paul says that we'll reign with him. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Wow. You'll reign with Christ. One day he, he's coming back. And you'll reign with him. And then there are these rather austere statements if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And that seems to be contradictory. How is it that if you deny God, he'll deny you, but if you're faithless, he's faithful? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? So what does it mean? One has to be stronger than the other. So denying has to be a strong word. Faithless, not as strong. One has to be more deterministic, the other less. So let's talk about this for a moment. If you deny God, then that means you shut him out and say no to him. You're done with him. All right, I've seen people do that. You're done. You'll do your life your way, and you won't do it God's way. That's what it means to deny him. The faithless person is the one I talk about who's struggling toward God. What, do I, what does that mean, struggling toward God? Some of you are in this room this morning and you're struggling against your addiction toward God. You're not denying Him. You feel awful about your sin. At times you are faithless. So, when you are faithless, He is what? Faithful. How? Because Christ in you, we're back to those in yous, right? Christ in you, life in you, salvation in you, peace in you. Scripture says he cannot deny himself. God cannot. Very rarely does Scripture say what God cannot do. But here's one. You should highlight that. This is rare. What can God not do? deny himself. And if he is in you, that means he cannot deny you if he is in you because he would be, by extension, denying who? Himself. The Russian nesting dolls, right? 
So if you're his boy, if you're his girl, and you make a faithless move, God can't go against himself in you and deny you. Do you know why? That is the most miserable people on the planet are those who know him but aren't walking with him. That's why. That's why. If you're in here this morning and you're pushing against him and you're his boy, you're his girl, have fun with that. It ain't a happy life. You will not be satisfied until you're right in where he wants you to be. That's what this is. He cannot deny himself. So, so what should I do as a result of this sermon? Two things. Number one, do you need, do you need someone pouring into you? If you do, if you'll just write it on your connection card, we got plenty of capable men and women here. We'll be glad to do that. Number two, are you here and rather be, than being a river of the grace of God, you're a reservoir? Say, what do you mean? You just let God's grace flow in, but it never flows out. And you ought to be pouring into somebody. You ought to be giving away what God has given you. If that's you and you say, I want to give away, just note that on your connection card too. Just let us know because we got people who need that. Let me pray for us, Lord. This has been an instructive time today. Really nothing of, of great theological depth but of practical worth. I stand here today because of a faithful man of God who met with me every single week for a year and gave me an hour of his time to teach me what it meant to walk by grace, to understand how you are faithful when I am faithless. I owe so much to him. May we be a church of disciples who make disciples, who exalt you, Jesus, live transformed lives, and embrace this community and the world. In your name.